0: Well, today we are talking about the topic of what are women's roles in the church? What are women to do? And I've been given that task. I thought maybe going on a couple of weeks of vacation, Evan would take that over. Nope, he didn't want to do it. So I get, that, uh, I get to talk about that out of First Timothy chapter 2 as we look in our uh, series together called Diving Deeper. Defining the women's role in a church is an emotionally charged discussion. It has split churches. It has... Uh, uh, It has bent this issue in such a way that it has taken fellowship from one another. And especially when it comes to who's to lead in the church, how's it to be governed, and who's it to be governed by. Questions like, should elders uh, be men and women, or just men? Are women allowed to preach on a continual basis in the church? Uh, the, The questions like, are women allowed to be ministers in a church? Should they be ordained? If I were to take a poll of women in this room and ask them the question, do you prefer to have a male or female preach in the pulpit week after week? The majority of women in this room would say they would prefer to have a male in the pulpit. National statistics show that time and time again. Now, if I were to take a poll and ask that same question and say to the men, do you prefer a man or woman in the pulpit? Well, they would first probably have to go ask their wife how they should vote probably. <laughs> But here at Bethany, let me tell you, we believe in the scriptures uh, that it gives us great guidance on how we should govern the church. We believe that it gives us the message that we ought to preach in a very hopeless and desperate world. We believe that in a godless culture, that God gives us guidance. Uh, and we trust what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, we believe in like things like 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where it says all scripture is God breathed, and it's useful for the teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped to do every good work. We believe that the scriptures have given us clear guidance on some things, especially when it comes to the governance and to gender roles within the church. And we may place our authority sometimes over God's word, and you might find churches that do that, but you know what? when it comes down to what we ought to think and what our opinions should be, we need to put our feelings beside us. We need to put our bias thoughts behind us. And we just need to grab onto the authority of scripture and say, what does God have to say to us? And we'll submit to that. We'll put his yoke, his teaching over our shoulders and say, even at times when I don't understand it, God knows what's best and I will accept and submit to his authority and to his word. Because here at Bethany, we believe in gender-specific roles in the makeup of the congregation and in the household. We think and interpret the scriptures that God has defined it that way. For example, we believe that the position of the elder and deacon, those who oversee the church in a spiritual manner, and those that are responsibility for the preaching and teaching, who is also an elder, sometimes called a senior minister, have gender-specific roles within the church. That a man should be the one who does the majority of the preaching and teaching in the pulpit, And that men should be the ones that oversee the church in the general assembly of it in a spiritual site who we would title elders and deacons. We believe that the scriptures teach us that and that's God's defining role for churches to conduct themselves and to govern themselves. But you know, if I had my way, I'd allow women to do everything, to be elders, to be continual teachers from the platform, and I would allow them to take charge of the church if they wanted to and had the qualifications to meet, but see, I'm not in charge of the church. God is, and I have to submit to Him even though I will be nailed for sermons like this, and even though sometimes our positions seem counter to the culture that we live in, we will submit to the authority of God and withstand maybe even attacks or comments that your preacher is a chauvinistic pig which is partially true but at Bethany we base our opinions on God's word and uh, this isn't my church this is Christ's church and uh, God told us this that my thoughts are not your thoughts Matt and uh, neither are your ways my ways Matt and so God knows how I'm wired better than I know how I'm wired and God knows how women are wired better than Women are wired, and so God has defined some things. And so, although I don't understand totally why God has chosen gender-defined roles, he has, and I'll accept it. I'll place myself under the authority of God on this one. I'll base my opinions and put back my feelings and my, my biasness, and I'll say, God, as you've directed, so shall I follow. I hope you do that too. Because that's not easy to do because of passages of scripture like First Timothy chapter 2. Would you turn in your Bibles with me there? It's page 961 of the Bibles in the chair rack in front of you. First Timothy chapter 2. And while you're opening up your scriptures, let me give you some background on what's going on in this verse, in these verses. The Apostle Paul is advising a young man by the name of Timothy who is green in ministry. He's immature and just getting his legs as a pastor. And he's advising him how to govern, how to preach and teach in the city of Ephesus where the church is. Now, the church has had all kinds of problems within it. It has seen huge decline. And Timothy is wondering, what does he do next? He's desperate. And the city of Ephesus has this false goddess that the majority of those in the city, the population, are worshiping, especially men. Uh, Artemis is the false god. And the practice of that religion to worship this false goddess is to have sex with the temple prostitutes. So most men in Ephesus are like, sign me up for that. I'm going to convert to that religion in a heartbeat. Because it allows me to have uh, sex outside of marriage, and and it tells me it's not a sin. It tells me it's an expression of worship. So you can understand quickly, can't you, why the church of Ephesus was female dominated? Men did not want to convert over to Jesus Christ because Christ was saying, This is not correct. There needs to be a purity in the marriage, and you need to keep the marriage uh, uh, between you and your partner pure sexually. And so women were converting to Christ because they saw the misdeeds and mistreatment of women, especially through the acts of prostitution and how men were treating women in that city. But men were not coming to Christ because they didn't want to depart from their sexual lusts that they were experiencing. Does this make some sense so far? Can you imagine being in a culture like that where men were given permission to have sexual affairs and it was a part of their religious practice? Who would want to come and join a congregation or a church that says, no, that all ends? Very few. Very few. So the the nature of the church, the buildup of the church was predominantly female. So here's Paul's advice to Timothy, who's preaching in a church that's dominant female. He says in verse nine of chapter two to First Timothy, Paul, I also want the women to dress modestly, decency and propriety. That word propriety is where we get cosmetology. It's this idea that we're presenting ourselves in a fashion in which is uh, of the makeup of the makeup that presents ourselves in a good light to the society around us. It puts us in good standing with people that are around us. So with propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles, some translations that you might have say with braided hair, which was an elaborate hairstyle back then, or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. We're in verse 10 now. But with good deeds, like not with all this other outward adornment, but with good deeds appropriate for, for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission, Where are the security people? They need to be coming up front real quick here because I'm about ready to get nailed. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the first one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But woman will be saved through childbearing. If they continue in faith, love, holiness with propriety. Now, I want to give you some basic guidelines of Scripture interpretation for a second. I think it will help us as we try to navigate this issue a little bit. One of the uh, key principles of scriptural interpretation is take the Bible literal if possible uh, and figuratively if obvious. It's got to be obvious that's figurative language, but every other place you take the Bible literally. And there are times though within the Bible when you have to interpret it sometimes in which you have to interpret it in the light of culture in which it was written. For example, the advice that Paul gives to Timothy here at the very beginnings of the verses we just read. He's basically challenging Timothy to put high expectations on the ladies who are coming to his church and who have adorned themselves in such a way that the focus is being taken off of God and the focus is put put onto them. So let me give you the contextual side of this because the way we need to interpret scripture is that there is a permanent principle in place but there is oftentimes followed by a cultural application and that's what we see here a permanent principle followed by a cultural application so the permanent principle is this dress modestly don't put the focus on you let the focus in worship be on god and let the inward adornment of christ be the thing that shows off your beauty now that can be said couldn't it, of any gender? male or female? Good permanent principle, right? Modesty's good. Putting the focus on Christ and worship is good, not the focus on yourself. What's the cultural application? Don't have elaborate hairstyles. Don't come in with fine jewelry. Why would Paul say such a thing? Well, because the temple prostitutes had elaborate hairstyles or fine jewelry. And don't you think a whole lot of prostitutes found freedom in Christ, gave up their old ways of being prostitutes in the temple, came over to Jesus Christ, but still had the wardrobe of their old occupation. And Paul's saying to Timothy, would you let those women know that the inwardness of Christ can shine through them and they don't need to present themselves this way anymore. They're changed. They've been given new life. Let the good deeds, let God shine brightly and let them throw away their past and let Christ be the one that shows them in their present, and their future. You know, the Apostle Paul kind of gives some contrary advice to the church of Corinth, and you'd say, well, the scriptures don't seem to match up. But no, it's not that the scriptures don't match up, it's that the cultures didn't match up. Just as elaborate hairstyles defined the prostitute of the days in Ephesus, in the church of Corinth, another city, miles and miles and miles away, which presented a different culture, they were told there by the Apostle Paul, for if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But it if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. There are some congregations, some faiths uh, denominations that have taken that as a permanent principle and not a cultural application. And today, even in our community, you'll find that women will enter the church with their heads covered and they enter society with their heads covered. You might even find that there are some congregations in our community that do not allow Uh, those that attend their church who are are, are female to cut their hair because they take that as a permanent principle and not just a cultural application that it continues on. But the Apostle Paul was writing those words because in the Corinthian city, the, the uh, the city of Corinth, prostitutes had short hair, not long hair like in Ephesus. And they always had their hair exposed. And Paul's saying, would you cover your hair? Because uncovered hair promotes promiscuity. And that's not what we want to promote. And so it's a pastor telling his congregation, you don't need to identify yourself with the world. You're a changed person because of Christ. So stop looking like the world. And so we see this as a permanent principle. It's good. We don't need to look like the world. We don't need to be promiscuous, but a cultural application. You see the changes between Corinth and Ephesus. Doesn't that maybe give you some sense now? So the advice to Timothy is this. Timothy, don't let the ladies of your church show up dressed like a prostitute. Now, that seems like good advice, right? It doesn't matter who you are, unless you're a male chauvinist pig or some kind of radical feminist. That's good advice for all of us. Come into the church modestly. May the attention be on Christ rather than yourself. But here's where it gets dicey, verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Do not permit I do not permit a woman uh, to teach or to assume authority over a man; she must be quiet. You know, this has to do with more of orderly worship than it does male dominance within the church. You know, the apostle Paul got a pretty bad rap from liberal theologians and liberal preachers during the 1970s and 1980s. They labeled him as a bigot, a chauvinist, and a sexist. But that couldn't be further from the truth. They would only focus in on one verse of Scripture like this one, and they'd say, see, God and the Bible hate women. But they didn't take the full context of who the Apostle Paul was. For example, the same man that wrote what we just read also wrote these words. So in Christ Jesus... You are all children of God through faith, all of us, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Now let's say this last sentence together. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The world had never heard any statement like that from any faith group or any man ever. That there's gender equality in church. There's gender equality when we come to Jesus Christ. He strips that all away and he sees us for who we are. His children. And you are all one in Christ Jesus. And there was great disorder in the church of Ephesus when Paul wrote these words back in 1 Timothy 2. And it was coming from a group of women that were being disorderly. A group of women that had decided that they were going to protest either Timothy's teaching or they were going to speak out during the time of preaching or they were just going to become disorderly during the church service. Now let's just say for a moment that we have a group of young men that sit in the back somewhere and they are disruptive during the time of preaching. Wouldn't you expect the leadership of this church to go to those young men and say, would you please be respectful during this time? Would you please... Submit to what we're saying. And would you please submit to the word of God and just be quiet? Wouldn't you expect us to say that regardless of who the gender is? And since the rowdy party in the church of dominant females were a group of women, Paul says, tell those ladies to be quiet. Otherwise, you're gonna have a problem on your hands. And it's gonna get to the point where the whole congregation is gonna be loud and talking back during the time of preaching. You know, when I was young and, 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 and more immature than I am now in uh, ministry, from time to time I would, would tell those that were loud in the congregation just to be quiet from the pulpit. And I'd point them out and say, You so and so, would you just be quiet? Or if you had a child that was getting noisy and, and rowdy and loud, I'd say, Could you please take that child out because for the sake of the good of others? Now, I stopped doing that a couple weeks ago. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I don't do that anymore because now there are hundreds of eyeballs on that person that's disorderly and they're peering into the soul of that person and hopefully they get the point. But if they don't get the point, they get a phone call on Monday from one of the staff members or an elder that says, you know, we need to talk about your behavior in the church. There are people that have come here to give an hour of their time to worship him and we need you to be respectful, to be quiet and submit to what we're saying And if it continues to be a problem, we're gonna ask you to sit neither in the back row. And if that continues, we're gonna ask you just not to come for the sake of the general assembly. Yeah, I can remember when I was was younger, uh, my grandfather, who's also a preacher, he called me out from the very back row and he said something like, if that's my grandson back there doing all the talking with that other group of boys, I'm gonna have him come right up here on the platform and sit with me until this sermon is done. Now that was enough to say, I don't want to be humiliated in front of thousands of people. And when that happened, it was like, okay, I'm going to control my behavior. And you know what else? I controlled the behavior of those that were around me as well. Because when I got called out, when I got called out, I was scared, I was frightened, and I wanted to submit to what was being said. And I made those around me submit to those that was being said. And so Paul's advice is this to Timothy. A young man, he's saying, Timothy, put an end to the disorder that's happening during the worship service, because if you don't, it will unravel that's a pretty good principle, don't you think? Permanent principle, cultural application. But Paul continues, and he says in verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over man. She must be quiet. Now, some of you are like, okay, I get it. There's a personal pronoun there. This must be a Paul thing. This must be another cultural application. Well, churches, doesn't matter if they have liberal leadership or conservative leadership, they are split on this one. My home church, for example, of thousands of people, Eastside Christian Church in Fullerton, California, they allow female elders, uh, and that's always uh, been a part of their tradition there, and women have been allowed to serve in that regard. Southeast Christian Church, a church of about 20,000, they don't allow that. They interpret the scriptures much differently, and they say that men should be in the role of elders. Well, who's to be right? Well, it's a matter of way in which you interpret the scriptures. And I know you don't care about Eastside Christian Church or Southeast Christian Church. You care about Bethany Christian Church. What does Bethany Christian Church believe? Well, we believe that God has defined gender roles in the church. And this verse, this one verse, is one of those that points to it that we interpret that in such a way. Paul's not saying that women cannot preach. He's saying they they can teach and they can get in the pulpit and they can preach. But the word teach here is used on a continual basis. And it's associated with another word, the word authority, that those two things are going hand to hand. He's saying, they can teach and they can preach, but just not on a continual basis. They can't be the ones that assume the authority in the pulpit. And we're quite certain as a leadership group that this is what the Apostle Paul is referring to because of what he says next in the next chapter. Turn with me just to chapter 3. It's just the next verse. Look what he says. Here's a trustworthy saying. So he goes in talking about the preaching and the authority that goes on in the church and how that needs to be male-driven, and then he says, whoever aspires to be an overseer, now this is the idea of an elder in the church, desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperament, self-control, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. In fact, I think what Paul was saying when he says, I do not permit a woman to teach, is that word word teaches the continual nature. I'm not going to allow a woman to be the senior pastor in the pulpit uh, and have that responsibility. Paul's referring to a gender role that has been tasked to men the preaching of the gospel over the general assembly on a continual basis. And we believe that he's referring to the, the, the role of an elder, like for instance, in 1 Timothy chapter five, look what it says. The elder who directs the affairs of the church well are worthy of a double honor, especially those who work in the role of preaching and teaching. Now at Bethany Christian Church, I'm considered an elder. I have a title called senior minister, but I'm considered an elder that's in charge of preaching and teaching and have aspects of leadership that go along with it. So our interpretation of Scripture is that God has defined gender roles and tasks and given men the responsibility to oversee the total spiritual well-being of the assembly of the local church called elders and deacons in title form. And along with that are people that have the responsibility in that group to preach and to teach people like me. And you can tell, I think, how we believe about women being ordained in ministry by the women we have on staff who are ministers. We have women on staff who are ministers, two women who are ministers on staff, and the Bible doesn't speak much about who a minister ought to be in the gender role of a minister. And we have a motto that says, where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible's silent, we'll be silent on this one. But we don't allow those women to have full authority or charge over the total assembly. While they have authority and charge over certain ministries, it's the elders that have authority the spiritual direction and oversight of the total assembly that's there. If that hasn't gotten me into trouble enough, let this next verse get me into trouble. (laughs) 1 Timothy 2, verse 13. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. I think we all agree with that, right? Now, verse 14. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But woman will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with propriety. Honestly, I don't have a clue what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. I really don't have a clue what he's talking about. Like uh, Peter had said about the Apostle Paul's letters, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. You're right on, brother. Peter, I agree with you. I, I don't understand all of what Paul says. Here's what I think he means. My opinion, my opinion. I think he means while a woman, Eve, brought sin into this world, was the first to sin, it was a woman, Mary, that brought salvation into this world. I think that's what he means. And since there was the first sin and then the first salvation, that it's neutral now. We don't need to keep putting women down. I think that's what he means. There are other theologians that say that it could mean that since Eve was deceived first, she got the greatest consequence that goes along with sin, which was true. You remember the consequences that happened in Genesis 3? Uh, God looked at Eve and he said, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And this is now the curse for all women. And in pain, you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will, and here's the word, rule over you. That word is dominate, dominance, authority over you. And that consequence is not just one that's a one-time event, it's a continual thing. Just like men will have to work uh, by the sweat of their brow in 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 the soil, it will be toil. And the serpent will be cursed and Christ will strike his head and even though Satan will try to bite at the heels of humanity. Continual act of consequence that's going on there. And since God had put that consequence into place, you would assume that those consequences would fall on institutions that God has established. God has established the institution of marriage and we can read Ephesians 5 and find out that there has to be a structure of authority and God says you are the man's to be the head of the household. That's part of the consequence. And also within the church, we look at it from this verse and other verses, that there's going to be an oversight or an overwatch of men who are going to take the spiritual task or the responsibility of spiritual oversight of the church. I think too, though, that a woman say by childbearing, when Paul says that, could also mean that there is severe pain in childbirth, but after the child is born, most women look back and consider it complete joy. And they see the joy in all of it, even though there was strain. And perhaps maybe Paul is saying to the effect... It's difficult maybe for some women to understand why God has decided on gender roles and it might pain them. But there's great joy in knowing that we're all saved by Christ and Jesus' salvation should bring us greater joy. Let me me put it like this. Let me just kind of conclude with some things um, that I've discovered in my study that I I needed to be reminded of as this issue Uh, I knew it was going to be preached on. And that is, I won't let the things I can't do keep me from the things I can do. As a woman, please don't focus on the things you cannot do, like being an elder, senior minister, being a deacon in this congregation. Every ministry would suffer if women decided to stop serving in this church. This place would fall flat on its face. And there are numerous ways to serve the Lord here, hundreds of ways to serve the Lord here at Bethany, outside of eldership, uh, preaching in the pulpit, and being a deacon. So focus on Christ, his church, and his community and find a place where you can serve him. I'm an elder of this church. I've been given the task to preach and to lead. And, you know, I have found some areas where I am uh, ineligible to serve at this church. Like I cannot. I, I'm not allowed to serve the slings ministry. Single, uh, single ladies living uh, or single ladies in need of God's strength. I can't serve in that ministry. I'm not allowed to. Or I can't. I can't be a teacher. Maybe even as much as I want to be of one of the women's Bible study groups. I'm not allowed to do that. I'm ineligible for that. Even though I'm an elder. Uh, I'm not eligible to uh, help with women's mentoring. We at one time were working with a. Uh, parachurch organization in town and helping women escape uh, drug abuse and physical abuses. I I was not allowed to be a women's mentor for that group. I can't be the leader of our Narcotics Anonymous program here at church. I'm ineligible to that. But I'm eligible to do some things and what those things are, I'm going to do or at least allow myself to be open to doing those things and not focus on the inability in eligibility but focus on the things that i can do and, and serve enthusiastically in those things so don't focus on the things you can't do focus on the things you can do here's another one the the biblical instructions for gender roles apply to the church not to secular society so men listen up here you don't have male dominance in the workplace it's not the way it rolls Understand that God only defines gender roles in two areas. The areas he has, he has designed and structured, the church and the household. He has no gender restrictions on those things outside of that. You, women can be CEOs, university presidents, governors, presidents of the United States. So whether you agree with her political stance or not, when Hillary Clinton last week became the Democratic nominee for president and shattered the glass ceiling, Friends, the entire nation should have praised that and applauded that regardless of what you think about it. Because that is an advancement for women and an advancement for our nation. Women were once considered property. In some nations, women are still considered property. But God never commanded that. God never approved of that. He appointed women like Deborah thousands of years ago to take charge over his people and to lead his people. He appointed Anna to be a prophetess, someone who spoke out the gospel and spoke of Christ's coming and was one of the first ones to welcome Jesus Christ into this world. He appointed Mary to be the mother of Jesus and titled her Highly Favored. Jesus permitted women to support his ministry and surrounded himself with these women and gave them the tasks of support and to do ministry in what he couldn't do. He appointed 12 men to be his disciples, but these women came alongside and were the support for his main ministry. Women like Susanna, Joanna, Mary Magdalene, Mary and her sister Martha. I mean, read Luke chapter eight and you'll find out that Jesus' ministry would have collapsed if it wasn't for the help of godly women that supported his ministry. Throughout the start of the early church, women were given the task to start up new ministries, ministries to the impoverished. A woman named Tabitha started one of the first ministries to those in need. Don't conclude the plot that the world would like you to believe that that God is some kind of chauvinistic God, that he has his thumb down on women. No, men who have been overlording, domineering for too long have been that way, and it's usually been societal more than it has been scriptural. Here's the last thing. I will love others even, even when the same opinion is not shared. You think we can do that? Can you still love me? I think we'll need to be tolerant on this issue. You know, there's some churches in town that don't interpret the scriptures the same way. We don't need to beat them down. We don't need to say one's right, one's wrong. We need to love one another. And rather than setting up walls, we need to start building some bridges With denominations for the sake of the gospel of Christ. Didn't Jesus have these great words? Everyone will know that you are my disciples if what? Let's say together. If you love one another. And we've been tasked to build bridges with other denominations and bridges with other Christians. You know, an old motto of this congregation has been in matters of unity, or in matters of faith, unity. In matters of opinion, liberty. And in all things, love. It's a motto of this congregation. And I'm thankful that I'm a part of a leadership that when they err, they err cautiously, they err conservatively. And we're not overly liberal, yet we're not overly conservative, but we, we try to hold on to the teachings of God's word as we best interpret them. And may I say this, with fear and trembling as we do so, knowing that we don't get everything right. And I will concede that God knows what he's doing better than I know That's what I'll concede. During the time of World War II, when war broke out, 16.1 million men left their homes, their farms, their factories, and they went overseas to fight on our behalf. And within two years' times, the towns, the farms, the factories, and the churches became void of men like never seen before. Women stepped up and they took on the roles and took on the jobs that were once considered taboo at the time because the nation needed their help don't you love it do the job he left behind the girl he left behind is still behind him she's a wow and they took on the responsibilities that men typically took on and they kept the war machine moving and the nation well oiled then the war ended and millions of men came back. Came back to their towns and their factories and their farms. And the women were welcoming to them. Some stayed in the workplace, but most got out and gave them their jobs back and their responsibilities, especially in some of the more manual labor skilled jobs. But in the church, that didn't happen. Men were happy that women had taken the role of What men used to take the role of and they sat back men are like water they take the path of least resistance most of the time and when it came to the spiritual roles in the household they took a back seat when it came to the spiritual roles in the church they took a back seat and things worked really well the churches began to grow churches began to prosper women were able to do defining roles like never before and things went great but did you know what took place in the 50s and 60s the decline of men within the church and men started exiting the church. you know what the average church attendance is, the gender gap in churches now in the U.S.? 61% of the congregations in the U.S. are made up of women. 39% are made up of men. That's a gender gap. It's because men have left the church. You know, in Europe, the gender gap is? 95% of the church is made up of women. 5% is made up of men. Friends, we are on a pathway towards that unless we continue to allow men to serve in the church. If men, if you just want to sit back idly and not live up to your spiritual role, you won't find many more of you in the congregations. So I'll concede that God knows what he's doing. In a book that we've read as leadership called Why Men Hate Going to Church, it points out over decades of time, women leading in the church, men have slowly slipped away. Most congregations are finding themselves female dominated and i think that's why here at bethany we made a conscious decision very uh, some years ago to to put an emphasis on challenging men to be spiritual leaders of their household to challenge men to be spiritual leaders in their church next week you come next week men you're going to have your feet stepped on we're going to challenge you to step up to be elders and deacons to walk a pathway to leadership in this church to be leaders in your household spiritually, to take creative and courageous steps to be spiritual men. You know, we desire to see a heavy male presence in this church. We don't hold that back. We've geared the interior and exterior of this building with our architects to take on a more male presence. The ministries of this church, we hope to lean more male dominant because studies show that when men come to Christ the families follow but the opposite isn't true let me give you one statistic from Hartford Seminary they said that when a child comes to Christ it's a 3.5% probability that someone else in their family will come with them you ever heard the old the old um, uh, folklore idea that when you kick kids to church their parents come to church too it's not true it is not true If a woman comes to Christ in the household, a 17% probability that the rest of the household will follow and come to Christ. When a man comes to church and gives their life to Christ, a 93% probability that the rest of the household will follow. Who would you focus your attention on? Right. The one who has the highest probability of winning over their family. And it's been proven by sociology that when men give their life over to Christ, society changes for the better. Why? Because men are usually the reason why there are societal ills. If you can change the man, you can change society. And here's the thing. When a man chooses a church, there are a couple things he looks for. He looks for who's preaching in the pulpit. You know, congregations and denominations that have ordained women in the senior pastor role are on a decline of men there's a huge gender gap men want to see men in the pulpit statistically what Hartford Seminary had found out is that if there are more men in the congregation the church is growing it's healthy and there is harmony if there is a lack of participation of men in the congregation the church is on decline so let me sum it up for you If men are present and active in the congregation, especially in leadership roles, they found, the church will grow. But if they are not, catch this, they say, the church will die. I've got to just assume that God knew what he was doing and submit to what God is saying and to humbly walk before our God in fear and trembling that we have this issue correct.